Okay, welcome again to the No Shit Show. It's been a few weeks since we've uh, since we've been on, so uh, I'm one of your co-hosts. My name is Conrad, and I just want to start off with saying that there is no such thing as boneless wings. Okay, <laughs> let's, let's just get that out right now. Okay, there's chicken nuggets and there's chicken wings, and chicken wings have bones in them. That's all. That's it. That's that's all there is. I don't know why. I don't know why the chicken nugget people or the saucy nug people feel it necessary to infringe upon the the wing people. Just stay out of our. Stay in your own lane. Eat your chicken nuggets. Enjoy them. But they're not wings. Okay, they can still be good, and not be wings. Just saying. You you saw that video of that guy speaking to that city council, yeah. right? That was yeah. the best video ever. It was. I applaud. I don't know why he's not running for president. I mean, his speech was eloquent. It was really. It's the best political speech I've seen in, I don't know, probably 12 years. Hey, I have to admit, I prefer the boneless chicken wings because, you know, they're not they're not sinewy and stringy and and they're a lot cleaner to eat cuz you look like you like you look like a 8-year-old fat boy at a Super Bowl party when you try and eat them but no offense to any of you guys who are 8-year-old fat boys at Super Bowl parties but it's just they're just much cleaner <laughs> i you know i think that's part of the joy of the chicken <laughs> is that connective tissue uh you know when i make chicken soup i want that connective tissue off the bone in there that's like that little bit of crunchy grizzle is what makes it good yum i'm not a big chicken eater so okay (laughs) yeah anyway my name is michelle and i don't have anything like really profound to say other than my butt really hurts um i've been doing crossfit a lot and i did this workout yesterday where like we did 500 lunges I don't think it was 500 lunges, 500 feet of lunges. And I woke up this morning and it felt like there was two knives right in one in each butt cheek. And so, and you know, what do I do today instead of taking the, no, I go back for more. I went back for more. And so I had to do jump roping today and my butt and my legs are just, uh, I can barely move. I look like a penguin when I'm walking right now. I do the penguin shuffle. (laughs) Well, my kids have been sick with strep throat last week and i got bronchitis over the weekend and i just uh i have not worked out in 10 days which has been the longest stretch i've went since i started back in you know like the beginning of june Mm -hmm. i don't know if i've done 500 feet of lunges in my life i'll be honest with you it was miserable and each hundred feet you had to add weights on you had to like grab dumbbells and and I wasn't even doing the full lunge where, like, the knee goes. Because, you know, it's CrossFit. You can't just do anything half-assed. You got to go, like, all in. But I wasn't. And so it, it's it, it's miserable fun. <laughs> well, we've got, a, we've got a couple of ads to do this week. And one of the things that I wanted to talk about real quickly was there's a new seed company um, that was purchased by some friends of mine and also customers of mine. And the name of the seed company is Colombiana's Best. Their focus is maximizing the return on your acre, um, and, and specifically, they're marketing seed corn. I think they're going to have access to some small seeds and that type of thing as well, but 
their primary thrust will be seed corn uh, for the central Midwest. Focus primarily on non-GMO, but they will have traits available. And I think it's going to be at a value that producers find very palatable uh, to uh, place on their farm or at least give it a look. Uh, so I encourage people, they're, they're going to be on social media, I believe on Facebook, uh, Twitter, and Instagram. If you're on any of, the, any of those platforms, search for at Columbiana's Best. Uh, we will tag it with the post of the show. And uh, give them a check, give them a follow, check them out. Um, I think that you're going to find there some pretty good people. And, you know, if you're interested, reach out to them. Always need new blood in agriculture, new business owners. Yes, it, it is important to get. Uh, I think new businesses are important in any industry and especially agriculture. Yeah. Taiki Coaching aims to help you go further than you have before beyond the norm of your typical results and life experiences to help you continually grow and sorry to help you continuously grow and succeed my success is tied to yours 100 percent. it is a great service i've been using it now for a few weeks and i find myself implementing the practices to refocus myself from one task to another i find myself being more productive even though i've been sick and down and i've not always been great every day with implementing those practices i i still am seeing positive results and i'm definitely getting more done everybody's got a busy lifestyle out there folks so don't be afraid to you know give taiki coaching a follow is that what what's their at i don't even know what their at is it's i think it's at taiki coaching yeah so give at taiki coaching a follow um and if you're interested you know inquire about their services because i I can personally attest that I, I'm getting world-class level coaching and it's working for me. Okay, so let's, uh, let's start in with the first post. Um, I'm going to go ahead with uh, at Bailey Wilson. This is from Bailey Shea Wilson. She hashtagged the show. Um, I'd love to see the results of telling a woman in active labor she has to wear a mask. And this is on Twitter. And she was quote tweeting. She was saying, the surgeon wears one. Why not you? What's the worst thing that could happen if you wear one? You look silly. So they're basically saying, should a woman in labor wear a mask? You know, I understand the hospital policies and trying to prevent, um, you know, because you know, when you're in labor, you got a lot of slobber coming out of your mouth. And we're trying to prevent the uh, flow of of these airborne particles of saliva that can contain the COVID virus. But, and this is one of those times where I think, you know, I understand the science. I know the science behind it, but you have to use a little bit of common sense. Labor is a hard process. And, you know, there's probably someone who can wear a mask through labor. You know, there's those women that look perfect after labor and I hate them. So I always look like someone punched me, but you are labor. They call it labor for a reason. You are laboring hard. I mean, it took four hours of pushing to get my son out. If I had been wearing a mask, I probably would have sucked it down my throat. While as much as, you know, I understand the reasoning. Yeah, I wouldn't boss a, a, a woman in labor around on that one. Sometimes you just got to gotta cut the loss where it is. It's like my mom. You know, when you're in labor, you're not wanting to hear any advice or be told these things. Declan, my son, was born at 1157 at night. 
And my mom's like, hang on for three more minutes and he'll have a nice round birthday the next day. And, you know, I was like, shut up. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't think wearing a mask, even I, who's the most ardent of if you're in the ma- public right now, wear your mask. I would not wear a mask in labor. <laughs> nope, nope, not going to happen. Well, as the expert of all women's issues on this show, because I'm a man, I, I would like to first just say that the better question should be, should the baby be wearing a mask before it comes out of the womb? <laughs> I've got a real problem. I mean, we're just letting these, you know, newborns go unchecked. We don't know where they've been. Well, we know where they've been, but we don't know what they've, well, we know what they've been exposed to, too. But just the same. You know, I mean, what if they're twins? How They haven't been social distancing, for Christ's sakes. I mean, <laughs> so... That that's where I'm coming. <laughs> it's like when you're a kid and you're like so confused that babies aren't born with clothes on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's you mean it wasn't wearing a face mask? <laughs> oh, good stuff. Well, we like that one, Bailey. Keep it up. Keep them coming. So okay. um Eric Wapple, great guy. We visited his uh farm and we we got some mint and you still need to send me my mint. Yeah, that's not going to happen. Go <laughs> Bullshit. It's going to happen. <laughs> my husband's bugging me for it. <laughs> um, so he's quoting and says, obviously we all know she is wrong on this, but I'd love to hear the no shit show discuss this and other hot takes on condiments. Like how only a garbage steak needs a one ranch is why we can't have good food and why gravy sucks on meatloaf. You need ketchup <laughs> style sauce. So he's poor. He's quoting um, Julie Thomas, oh my, you know, I've known Julie for years and now I'm looking at her last name. I realize I've never gotten that far. <laughs> well, go with Julie Tomzak and apologize. Well, it's so funny. Like, when I, like, uh, um, there's someone else on Twitter today. Like, I heard their real name for the first time today. I'm like, I thought your name was always really this. But it, <laughs> that's what people say about me, too. Anyway, Julie said, there's no difference between Miracle Whip and Mayo. I'll let you go first. <laughs> Okay, Um, if you don't know the difference between Miracle Whip and Mayo, I'm left to assume that you probably think a hot dog is a sandwich. I mean, seriously, Miracle Whip is like the double-wide polyester curtain cousin-kissing genital wart of the condiment world, okay? So get Miracle Whip off your plates. I'm just going to start there. And as for Eric... um, yeah, only garbage steak or garbage pork chop uh, needs A1. You don't need A1 if you cook good meat, period, in the story. Or Heinz 57, for that matter. Uh, if you overcook your meat, yeah, you need that stuff. Ranch is why we can't have good food. Not going to give an opinion there. Because I like ranch on wings. Oh, I love dipping pizza in ranch. And I, I think it's a West Coast thing, though. All gravy is trash, period. End of story. I think you'd like my gravy I make, but gravy on meatloaf? No, meatloaf is so good on its own. It does not need gravy. It needs ketchup. And not... Meatloaf doesn't just... It needs ketchup baked on it. And then a big pile of ketchup beside it to dip in it. Well, you know what? You know how I make my meatloaf? So, like, I got this recipe. Like, you you get all... you you take a uh, wax paper, you flatten out all the the ground beef on it, and then you like squirt 
ketchup all over the flattened meat, uh, meat oh. and then you put in parsley flakes and like copious amounts of mozzarella cheese, and then oh. you roll it in a roll, and then you put more ketchup and cheese on top, and then you stick it in the oven for like you know half hour. Oh, it's so good. I, I think I know what I'm making for dinner tomorrow night now. Yeah, I'm hungry. Jeez, <laughs> uh, that man, that sounds. I'm totally thrown off now. It's midnight here. <laughs> I want meatloaf. <laughs> You know, back to Julie's original comment, there's no difference between Miracle Whip and Mayo. And I'm going to have to agree, and I'll tell you why. Oh. Both of them are shit. I mean, if I wanted to eat something on my sandwich that looks like jizz or pus, you know, no, I don't even want that. No, they're gross. I hate mayonnaise. I hate Miracle Whip. I, I mean, I guess if I had to rank the two, Miracle Whip seems like a 1970s, like, shitty food so i'll avoid miracle whip but yeah, i'm just not big on those white condiments they all kind of just gross me out and yeah not my cup of tea they just they, they look gross to me they smell gross they taste gross ranch is white ranch is special <laughs> don't don't point out errors in my logic here conrad shut up <laughs> a roast beef sandwich needs only four things. Oh, five. It needs bread, roast beef, cheese, three barbecue pickles, sauce, three pickles, and mayonnaise. <laughs> barbecue sauce. You're killing the sandwich. You're barbecue killing. sauce. Oh. Not mayonnaise. Get out of here with your mayonnaise barbecue. makes you fat too. Like, you know, it's like all these empty calories. And they're worse calories than, yeah, because I know, like, other condiments have calories, but if you look at mayonnaise, it's, like, the worst kind. Okay. This one's from you. And uh, I actually asked if we could talk about it on the show, and you posted. I wonder, this is about the movie Percy coming out, which is, uh, I'll let you describe what Percy is about. But you said, I wonder how they'll feel if someone recorded the movie without permission and distributed it. I believe there's a law against that, right? Kind of like the patent laws Percy broke. So I'll let you go ahead. All right. So Percy is um, Percy Schmeiser. I, I believe he was a Canadian farmer. Um, yeah. He's like a kind of a folk hero to the anti-GMO movement because he was he's one of the few farmers that Monsanto actually has sued because, you know, Monsanto supposedly, I mean, a company that doesn't even exist anymore, um, has sued a shitload of people. But he's one of the few cases where they actually had a suit. And for every single time he lost in court, but yet people still think he's this greatest person on the world. And here's what happened. So, and I could be giving the, the short story wrong, but he, he found what he thought was a strange crop on his land. And so um, he decided to spray it with Roundup to see if it would go away. And it didn't go away. So he knew what it was. So then he decided to take the seeds from it and propagate it and plant it. And, but he tried to claim it was an accident. Well, when you think about how many, he ended up having like a few thousand acres of these seeds and he was selling the seeds too. He totally broke so many laws, got caught doing it. And, but yeah, he's still kind of seen as a folk hero to a lot of people that are anti-GMO. And um, I really over-explained it really quickly. There was a, there's been long drawn out court cases about it where there's a lot of evidence. Um, there's some evidence 
or a witness that was his hired man who talked who knew in close detail what he was doing and that he knew he was doing but for some reason some of his evidence was stricken by the court for some reason um but it's it's become over time very obvious that he was misleading everyone and what happened um and so it's kind of frustrating because here we have you know i know there's people against the patenting of genetic information the reality is you can patent it because there's a lot of work that goes into it he he knew what he was doing and then he's trying to act like a victim and it drives me nuts and i know that there's some nuance in the case between american and canadian laws and um, whether truly patent laws for for biotech were in uh, at the time of this happened. So I forget the date on it, but there's a little bit dis- dispute of whether patent laws were really taken into effect by then. But here's the thing. He knew what he was doing. He knew he was taking someone else's product, propagating it and selling it. And he did it because he wanted to make a name for himself. And I'm not going to respect that. He wanted to be the guy who wanted to beat out Monsanto. It didn't work. And so, like, I got beat up from a few people when we were discussing on social media. Like, oh, I can't believe you don't see the nuance in this. No, I see the nuance. But I know what the fuck he was doing. I know the game he was playing. And I'm not going to have any respect for him. He doesn't deserve any of this hero status he gets. You know, this hit social media a couple weeks ago. And it was a big to-do for Mm -hmm. a year or so. And you know, a little bit of a scorched earth campaign. And then you had that, of course, responding tweets of why are people upset about this? Blah, 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 making it more out of it. And look, I love, I love scorched earth campaigns. I live for them on social media. Mm-hmm. I think they're great. I I love seeing people quote, tweet something, a, a thousand different people do it uh, and all their different takes. I think it's hilarious. I think it's great. I don't understand the people on social media who continue to read all of that and then get pissed about it. Mm-hmm. Stop fucking reading it then. Just put down social media. Go do something else. I mean, I, well, why the... Uh, anyway, so, you know, this movie, I mean, let's face it. No one is watching this thing. Okay? No one is watching it. We gave it so much more... more we did. But you know, I still love reading everyone's hot take on it. Oh, it's great. But I mean, but like we gave it more free publicity than the, than they even paid, and I still don't think anyone has watched this movie. I mean, come on. I love Christina Ricci and Zach Braff, but honestly, what have they done in the last ten years? Well, it's a big movie at a time when renting a B movie is like buying a VCR recorder to film the family vacation to the world's largest ball of yarn. Not only will no one care, but they won't know where to find what they don't care about. I mean, it, it's it's trash. I mean, they don't even have a headliner for an actor. The informant, which was about you know ADM and price fixing and everything else, had Matt Damon, and nobody's seen that damn thing. I mean, <laughs> I, 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 I hate to break it to you. To, and I'm talking to the audience, but movies about farming aren't super popular, folks. They are not. Okay, I, I and I know that's going to upset some people, but you know nobody's going. Oh shit! What are we going to watch tonight? We're going to watch 
Iron Man or are we going to watch the Avengers or what about Percy? I mean, this is not going to fucking happen. All right. So I think the last, the last big farming movie was Interstellar. And that was a stretch. The last farming movie I watched was had Mel Gibson in it. He was like trying to stop a flood. It was a good movie. I thought he was trying to stop an alien invasion. No, this was like this was really old. This had, uh, oh my gosh, I cannot remember her name now. But it, I mean, I think it might have been eighties or late seventies. I mean it, and it was a good movie. It was, but you know, again, there were things you could find in that movie that were a little bit sketchy. Um, but that's probably the last movie I watched about farming, and I don't think the general public is just salivating for movies about agriculture no no offense but if they were hollywood would be making them okay yeah the time of ag movies was the westerns and that died off about 40 years ago well and i still think westerns can be popular when they're well made i enjoy westerns everyone likes cowboys and cattle hell yeah corn and tractors are not very exciting i guess the next big movie will be about john deere and owning like the uh the data on your john deere (laughs) yeah that's not gonna fucking happen (laughs) like five people will watch it yeah yeah right (laughs) yeah we had a 90 million dollar budget and six people came to the theater (laughs) okay so the next one um i follow cow doc on on twitter and he's, he's one of the, the Twitter veterinarians. And so um, what I'm going to do is, I'm gonna, his tweet is pretty straightforward. But it, what I'm really kind of shocked at is the response to it. Um, that, and so I'll get to it. So Cowdoc said, keep your damn pit bulls at home. This is about a third of it. She'll be lucky to live through the day. Before you want to jump in and defend your dog, how about I let you explain it to this 10-year-old boy who rode in the trailer in 50-degree weather for 40 mi- 45 miles holding his first show goat. And so what you see is the um, hindquarters of a show goat just completely torn to hell from dog bites. Mm-hmm. So, and I remember when I saw him post this, I knew, as soon as I saw him mention the breed of the dog, I knew people were going to come for him. And so, of course, we have this McKenzie girl. Pit bulls are precious if you raise them correctly, sir. Sorry your goat got attacked, but not all pits are mean. And then this girl, Cambria. Now, now what we're not going to do is attack one breed of dog. And so he had a bunch of people just coming after the breed of the dog. And so finally, uh, someone said, if only we could have the PR department that pit bulls have. (laughs) So here's the... And I'm going to go first on this one. I know we try to go back and forth. Here's the thing, guys. You know how annoying the not all men people are? (laughs) When you say not all pit bulls, you're just as obnoxious as the not all men guys. And I guarantee these girls get aggravated with not all men, Captain Not All Man. So doing that with not all pit bulls, is just as bad. Yes, we not all no, not all pit bulls. But he's a veterinarian with experience and he was explaining what breed. And you know what? I know it sucks. I've had a pit bull. I loved it. But on average, pit bulls, they do have a lot more rates of bites, and that's mostly because there's a lot of pit bulls, especially out west. They're everywhere. 
and um and they have such strong jaws that when they do bite and attack the damage is so much worse and so everyone goes like oh but chihuahuas yeah you know i have a chihuahua yes it bites me all the time but the skin never breaks Okay, guys, we, <laughs> here you have a professional, and he's telling you the breed of dog that did it. He's telling you what he sees on a professional basis, and, and not all pit bulls have to show up. We know. We know. But face it, the, in the end, dogs can be dangerous about livestock. And when you're sitting there just defending a breed because you're upset that the breed was brought up and not seeing the damage to the animal that it attacked, uh, you really need to question yourself and really tape it take a look in the mirror and really reflect on yourself as a person because you have completely missed the point. The ship sailed away. The boat's way down the river. Get your shit together. I do have a good friend, one of my best friends that listens to the show that has a pit bull and he's had, I believe he's had multiple pit bulls over the years and he has not had issues. Um, you know, but I also think that a lot goes into, you know, how a pet acts with the, a lot of it has to do with the owner mm-hmm. and the spent with the dog and those type of things. And then, but yes, the, look, I've seen it, other breeds that, you know, when they reach a certain age or something happens and, you know, we had a black lab that as it got older, when people would come to the door, it would, you know, nip at them. And, it was a big dog. It was scary. Um, and it was something that we had to take care of. And it, that wasn't any fun. No. Nope. Uh, at the same time, uh, you know, I've read stories throughout my life. You know, people have a pet tiger and the tiger rips their face off. Or people have a pet, uh, you know, a, a pit bull and it, 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 you know, attacks a small child or something like that. And I guess I have a my sympathy only goes so far for those folks. Because at the end of the day, I mean, you've got a fucking pet tiger. Yep. What did you think was going to happen? What you, you, it's not like having a kitty cat. Okay. It, sorry. I mean, just basic logic says, Hey, uh, there's a risk. And if you're willing to take it, that's fine. It's your freedom to do so. But, you're, you're going to live with the results if they go bad. That's it. Mm-hmm. Okay, next one. Um, the food babe. Oh, God. <laughs> so they tell us autism is genetic. But autistic kids don't have autistic parents or grandparents or great-grandparents or great-great-grandparents or great-great-great-grandparents. You get the message. So I'll let you talk about Mrs. Irrelevant now. We get the message loud and clear. She's a fucking moron. Okay. I'm like, I am like, my, my filters are off. Like if, if any of you guys have not like follow me on Twitter, like I, I am so fucking done right now with anyone who is just stupid or just says stupid shit to me. And so, yeah, the food babe, she's always just been one of those that drives me nuts. And funny, when I heard about this, I had to go seek it out and look it up on my daughter's phone because the food babe has blocked me on every single social media platform. Oh, my God. <laughs> I don't even know how. Well, I guess she knows about the devil's advocate because like she she put, uh, she 
blocked me years ago on Facebook and then Twitter. And then I was like, yeah, I, I never commented on any of her stuff on Instagram. And she already blocked me on Instagram. So I have a feeling if she has a TikTok, I'm probably already blocked there. <laughs> so, but um, so if you don't know who the, uh, the food baby is, her name is Vanny Harry. And she is a, and I'm doing air quotes here, guys, a food researcher. And by being a food researcher is she gets on Google and she puts in what she wants to be true in a Google search bar and finds things to do it uh, that prove her point. And so she also sells products. And, and of course, there's times that, you know, her products will actually have an ingredient that six months prior, she blasted another company for being unneeded and it's going to make you sick. So basically, she's she's a self-proclaimed health guru and food researcher, and she's just a moron. Um, if you remember years ago, her big article was, are you eating beaver butt? Because some food had the same ingredient or same chemical. It's also found in beaver butts. You know, you're dealing with someone who is at a very, very high caliber of thinking here. I mean, she probably would get upset if she realizes the minerals and rocks are also found in your food as trace minerals that you need to survive, but they're also in rocks. So that must be bad because you shouldn't eat rocks, you know? So anyway, uh, going back to this, she obviously really does not understand autism or genetics at all. Um, Autism is a fairly new name for a broad spectrum of behaviors that can be in, in kids. And so it, it, you know, in, in 1980s, you know, you knew one or two kids who were diagnosed with it, but now it's a lot more common because the spectrum has increased. Um, they, they've expanded the parameters of what they what not what describes an autistic child, and also people are more comfortable with the diagnosis. It's not the social suicide it used to be to have a child with an autism diagnosis. So more people are with the, with more people understanding and getting the diagnosis. Um, people understand it more it's not a stigma and so and it's newer so of course the rates of diagnosis have increased but the important thing to understand about autism is it's a spectrum disorder and there's no one single gene that aids to that adds to it it's a variety of genes that when you know as two people get together and make their babies and their sperm and their eggs that get together that at some point you're going to coalesce and have that child that has all this set of this genotype that's coded for all these certain behaviors and characteristics that code for a child that falls on the autism spectrum so you might have some parents with with you know a trait here and a trait here but it's not important you know it's just it's kind of frustrating to me she's saying this when she obviously has no clue what she's talking about i don't know if i explained it well but it's not uncommon for an autistic child to have parents that are not on autistic it just because it's the genetic disease doesn't mean it's automatically mendelian genetics where it's dominant and recessive and you know if it's a dominant genotype the parents must have it too Basically, somebody needs to go back and take biology 101. She's never seen a Punnett Square. No. Well, and that's the thing is, you know, that's a failure in American biological education, I have to say, is we, we teach things as pure Mendelian genetics. And Mendelian genetics, while it's accurate for some traits and it's easy to learn on paper, things are really a lot more complex than just being, you know, two possible alleles and they come together 
and it's total dominant, you know, like, you know, the, the dominant alleles completely dominant over the recessive, whereas mm-hmm. we've learned as time goes on, we've learned a lot since Mendel came up with this. And this was groundbreaking when Mendel came up with it. Yeah. But now we know it's a little bit more complex. And, and the bit worst thing we ever taught was that eye color is simple Mendelian genetics. So you're taught in school that if you have two blue, blue eyed parents, you can only have a blue eyed child. Well, that's not really accurate because it turns out there's a lot of different alleles that code for your eye color. And I'm probably using the wrong term there, but it, it actually is a polygenic. Not all blue eyes are created equal. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think uh, Food Babe was the one who coined the term boneless wings. Uh, uh, no. <laughs> I couldn't wait to say that. <laughs> I think you pretty well covered it. I really don't have anything to add, so I'm gonna go ahead and take. The, I'm gonna go ahead and take the easy road out of that one. Sorry uh, for you guys for my really long rambling explanation of genetics and the autism spectrum. There, no, but it's, it's one of my pet peeves. I'm like, great. don't I, invoke science when you don't understand science, and I'm that's what she's glad, doing. I'm I'm just glad I know how babies are made now. That's <laughs> the stork brought them. I was yeah, I was curious about that whole sperm and egg thing and. You cleared it right up. Um, <laughs> oh, my God. So, side story. I got, yeah. I got hijacked a conversation, and this is so cute. So, when my son was in first grade, um, his cat had kittens. And so, like, and he knew that that fish, in order to get pregnant, you know, the female fish laid the eggs. And then the male fish came by and sprayed them and fertilized mm-hmm. the eggs. Sure, so, sure. he's like, he's like, well, how did that work with my cat he's like did the cat pee all over her and i'm like <laughs> no he's like but what how did it happen and he was so persistent he's only in first grade so i i, I finally asked okay look honey i'm gonna tell you the truth you live on a farm you're gonna see this eventually you know you have a penis right well yeah <laughs> and, and you know females have vaginas right yeah well the penis actually fits inside the vagina and so the the male has to stick the penis inside there to spray the egg that's the best i could come up with it and he sat there for a second and he's like you're lying i'm like no i'm telling you the truth he's like and he got this disgusted look on his face he's like that is the most disgusting thing i've ever heard i am never going to do that and then he called his dad he like made me give and like he's like dad mom mom just told me this is this true like i don't believe her and he's like yes son that's true and he's like i am never doing that (laughs) is he your third son is your third child he's my oldest so he's he's almost 16 now and he'd probably he listens to our podcast so i'm sure i'm gonna like get grief later on (laughs) for telling this story i'm pretty sure his mind has changed by now (laughs) I, I, i can just hear him you know later Four times, mommy. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Oh, Um, the mouth of babes. It was just so cute. I had like just this look of disgust and like, like just trauma (laughs) that this is how the world has gone on with people doing that. (laughs) Oh, that's unsanitary. Unsanitary. Well, uh, that concludes health class for this week. Um, you know, tune in next week and we'll uh, have a 
have a session on diaper changing. <laughs> um, okay, go to Cory Booker. Take that down. Okay, Cory Booker, our friendly U.S. Senate candidate from New Jersey. <laughs> Factory farms are breeding grounds for animal abuse and infectious disease. Even full-blown pandemics can be born in these massive cramped warehouses of livestock. It's time that we end the cruel practice of factory farming once and for all. Our good friend, friend of the show, Jody Nihay, commented on this post. And she said, you know, I don't think you've ever actually been to a real family farm that happens to have a lot of animals. Large doesn't mean evil and small doesn't mean good. There's lots of farm farmers on Twitter that would love to show you their large livestock farm. Now, uh, look, Cory Booker, you know, he's like the Ted Cruz of the Democratic Party, and that's saying something. The guy's a fucking idiot, okay? I mean, I'm just going to flat out say it. There's not been a dumber candidate in the history of the United States for Senate than Cory Booker. The guy looks like Michael Simon on meth. You know, but it's typical. He's he's hitting all the bullet points about factory farms and pandemics. And, infectious disease, pandemics, you know, saying that, I mean, look at the flawed logic and the lies that are being thrown out there for the general public. To me, this is more harmful than a... Percy movie? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Because this is a guy that's going to be out there on the trail every day, and, you know, he's going to be spouting pure bullshit like this. And anytime I come across a politician that is just blatantly lying about something that I know something about, then I automatically assume that everything else they're talking about, they're also blatantly lying about that I don't know anything about. That's what goes through my head, is you're just making shit up and and hitting talking points to get votes, and that's it. There was a great post the other day by Jason Hansen, uh, and just a fantastic post about the senators and, and Congress. And he said, you know, if, if senators on both sides of the aisle are just going to vote the party line and hit the party talking points, why can't we make that robotic? Why can't we just get robots then? Because what's the, and he's right. What's the fucking difference? I mean, if, if they're not going to think for themselves, then we don't we don't need them. We can just get some robots and have them vote the party lines, and that's it. We'll just elect a Democratic robot or a Republican robot. <laughs> you know, I've always heard that politics have always been this bad, but I don't know. Like I, I like my my history professor in college, and this was before internet was even big, would try to explain like some of the crap that was said and done during elections. He said back in the stuff of the early 1800s makes everything happening now look just completely tame. But I'm not sure. I, in this election cycle, I honestly haven't noticed too much of the um, campaigning. And I guess thanks to COVID, they can't campaign as much as they normally do. Sure. But some of the stuff I'm seeing this year is just like, and it's from all political parties. I am just just face palming constantly and this guy as i mentioned when i discussed the tweet on twitter i'm like i mean his word salad was great he hit all the talking points that the things that people fear about agriculture and their food he knew how to rile them up but can this guy 
can he even define what a factory farm is? There's no real definition for it. If you're HSUS, Humane Society of the United States, you define a factory farm as any operation that keeps their livestock inside for part of the year. Well, because I keep my little 17 acre farm um, because I keep my 30 hens all year in a house, in a hen house, so they don't get eaten by the coyotes. I'm a factory farm, according to them. And I really contest like these people who portray that factory. COVID didn't even come from a factory farm. They actually still really don't even know the source of COVID. Um, you know, that that poor wet market in Wuhan, China has gotten blamed for it. But now there's maybe some information that it was around even prior to then. Um, it's They're feeding on people's fears to get elected. And, and they're driving fear in order to seem like the savior. And that's just slimy and swarmy. And there's nothing slimier than a politician creating false fear to make themselves look like the savior. Um, so this was in a discussion I was in that took a little turn. I even forget what the discussion was originally about, but I really liked this, um, this comment as a standalone. And it says, current ag production fellows do not like it when I tell them that half our production could be taken over by those who utilize smart data and analysis artificial intelligence to produce trend line in a more efficient and environmentally friendly manner versus current practices. Look, we're, we're going to continue to see technology advance in agriculture, in all industry for that matter. We're going to see more robotics. We're going to see, uh, you know, more data being utilized. We're going to see artificial intelligence being, artificial intelligence being utilized. I don't know what agriculture will look like in 10 years. I don't. I have ideas. I, if somebody would have, I started my career down here, this would be 20 years. Uh, I've been in ag retail and I've been, you know, my family's been at this location for 35 and I've, I've been here for all of that, but full-time 20 years. And I have to tell you that when I first started down here, the equipment we have then compared to the equipment we have today, the amount we use computers and cell phones and data then versus today is staggeringly different. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just, you know, I went from running, you know, floater trucks that, uh, you know, you had to recalibrate a very simple monitor, had to pressure test it every morning or zero pressured every morning, and it was an art to make your material come out right when you were applying herbicide, you know, something you learned and got onto and and learned to gauge acres by vision and uh, what you had left in your tank. I mean, that's how you did it. And today, you know, a computer is doing all of that. I still have that skill set, but a computer is mapping it for me and telling me exactly how many acres I've covered at that, at each moment Uh and exactly how many gallons I have expelled at each moment. And I have nozzles that shut off individually as I overlap. And my carbon footprint is less and less and less all the time as the technology continues to advance. And the need for a super skilled operator 
uh, in terms, it, it's changed. You still have to have a lot of skill to run the equipment, but the types of skills that you need have evolved. And that is going to continue to evolve. Will we eventually see manless units? You know, uh, I think so. Uh, but there's still going to have to be someone there that is monitoring this, that understands, you know, probably understands a, a lot about computers. Maybe he has to know how to write code or, or work on the computers themselves, that type of thing. Not just the hardware, but the software. And they may be managing multiple units at one time, you know, from a stationary location. I, I don't know. But I, I do know that these things are going to continue to change and evolve. Uh, if nothing else, just for an, from an efficiency standpoint. So I went back and looked at the conversation of what this tweet came about. Because honestly, like, since it's been so long since we talked and recorded, it had been like, oh, it's what's today's day? It's been two weeks since I had this discussion. <laughs> and so ironically, you know what this uh, conversation spurred off of? The no. tweet we just discussed, Cory Booker's tweet. So, oh, gosh. so I think I said I hit all the buzzwords. And so someone replied to me with that meme that always goes around where there's a woman sitting by the Century Farm sign and, and you know, the guy on the internet saying, I read on the internet, you don't know what you're doing. And so um, he came in and he was just saying, hey, you know, multi-generational farms aren't guaranteed to have the best practices either. And I completely agree with that. You know, I around here, I see a few farms that have been passed on through generations and I see some of their practices and I'm shaking my head that they're still in practice. Um, and, and then I get to know the families and I, and I get to know a little bit why and I'm even more shocked. <laughs> but um, and so there's definitely we, we I think in ag we kind of tend to like get our 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 hairs raised on our back a little bit when we hear a complaint and we have a hard time admitting that sometimes we don't do things as best as we can and there's definitely rooms for improvement and I think we always get those haunches raised because we're so often just being portrayed as like what Cory Booker said just places where we abuse animals and all this bad stuff and pandemics are happening that we get so defensive that we forget that you know there is better practices out there and we can't absorb them. And there are definitely is always room for an improvement. Um, you know, there's always room to do things better in no matter what type of agriculture you are. And that's why I appreciate his comment here about that. There is a lot of improvements to be made by these modern technologies um, using data analysis and, and AI and it is going to make farming a lot easier and switch it up for these people that can't adapt to it. And it'll probably produce better practices for the land, less compaction we can have uh, by less machinery going over it using drones and, and letting things be designed literally just at the microclimate. It will be a huge game changer for application of chemicals. And mm -hmm. I know that's things that we, that when I was still in the vineyards, we, we were looking at like that was going to be cool with the drones and so there's people who are, are not going to be able to adapt to that. And I'm always amazed that when I do see those farms that have been around multi-generations that have even adapted to what's going on now, <laughs> you know, I worry how they are going to make it. Because like we were talking about these new technologies and you need to be a little bit savvier on managing, you know, driving these tractors with the equipment you have to pull and 
and um, understanding the robotics behind them, there's a huge learning curve. And the funny part is those advancements are going to even reduce the amount of, of your stereotypical small family farms that people want, if that yeah. makes sense. Because, you know, I can't afford a big piece of machinery. Um, in order to justify it, I would need to be farming a few hundred more acres. And so and that's what we're looking at right now. And I think one of the things we're looking at is a we're in a we're in a tough area where people have romanticized a small family farm, but because of the way technological advances have gone, the small family car farm cannot afford those technological advances to make farming better for the long run for the land and everything else. Well, and it's it's not just farms that yeah. we're seeing. I mean, I'm in ag retail. We're an independent ag retailer. And I've got, you know, millions of dollars wrapped up in application equipment and tendering equipment mm -hmm. um, for fertilizer and for herbicides, insecticides, pesticides, all pesticides. And it's, yeah, it's daunting. I'll be honest with you. There are nights that you wonder if what you're doing is going to work or and I realize that, you know, it's a risk I'm taking. At the same time, I look at those investments and I, I say, well, you know, I see a lot of arguments on social media about death, mm -hmm. you know, the, the tier four and basically reducing carbon, carbon emissions of equipment and people don't like it. I don't mind it. Yes, it's an additional expense on all of my equipment. Yes, it's another product I have to carry in the, you know, in the fuel dike. And I have to, um, you know, have that on hand and fill that up. And it's a hassle. I'm not a scientist. Mm -hmm. Okay. I don't know how much agricultural equipment emissions have affected global warming, if at all. I don't. I'm not going to pretend to know. I think most people don't really know. They've not done the research and spent, I'm not going to spend hours doing that. What I, what I will say is this, if it's cleaner, I guess why not? Yeah. That, that's my, at the end of the day, that's where I go, what I go back to. If, it, if I can do it cleaner and better, why not? But I also realize the challenges that presents in terms of economics, and I think that's most people's resistance to it. It isn't that they don't want to do it cleaner or better. They're just looking at, you know, okay, I've got to pay so much more for a tractor, so much more for a prayer or a truck or whatever it is. And that's coming off the bottom line. Meanwhile, back at the ranch, you know, everybody, it, literally, no pun intended, uh, everybody is, you know, saying I saying things like, I'm overproducing food or, you know, I'm still doing it wrong or whatever. And I get it. It's, it's hard to hear all of that when you're trying to do the right things or you're being forced to do things that you can't necessarily afford or don't agree with. I, I don't know if there are any simple answers. What I do know is that if you don't take change by the hand, it'll grab you by the throat. Yep. And the first person I ever heard say that 
I just hated her for it. And I got to be honest with you, it, the longer I've lived, the more I've learned she was right. I want to continue to be an adapter of technology. My dad is 65 years old. And okay. he got put in a new sprayer this year with uh, ISO. And, you know, he'd never been, uh, he'd never even run a 700 case monitor. People don't know what I'm talking about. It's one of the latest, greatest technologies. So basically he went from a pretty simple computer. Like if you thought in terms of, uh, you know, he went from DOS to Windows Vista (laughs) in one day. And, you know, it took him two days, but he got on to it. Now he loves it. Yeah. So this isn't a person that, you know, he can get frustrated with new technology. We all can. But if a 65-year-old man can step up to the plate and get it done, then I, I, I don't really have a lot of sympathy for other people who get frustrated by that. Well, Michelle, um, it's been a, been a while since it's just been me and you, I think about four shows. Yeah. yeah. Oh, my God. So we had Calvin, Calvin. and then we had Rob, and then oh. we had Ben. Yep. And, and... Uh, it's, it's kind of nice. And it's been a while since we've done a show. and. Yeah, yeah, sorry about that. Everybody. No, don't don't apologize. I <laughs> uh, I think you know a little break once in a while is a good thing, and we've certainly both had a lot going on, and you've had to restart some things here uh, professionally, and and a lot going on with kids, and the same here. Um, but we do appreciate everybody who's tuned in and kind of stuck with us. Uh, you know, we really love doing this show, Michelle. I love working with you. It feels so great to record with you again. I miss seeing you, and I miss talking to you. You too. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully things will settle down. School has just been crazy this year. You know, not too great, but everyone kind of thinks us teachers are sitting around, you know, getting a free vacation because kids aren't in school. But I'm on call 24-7 right now. You know, because with kids learning distance, you know, not everyone can do the eight to three. And so I have kids up at 2 a.m., you know, sending me questions and my phone is going off. And, you know, I, you know, if a student's doing work, I want to help them out. So it's, well, it's, we, it's been 2020. It's been 2020. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. We've either picked the worst year or the best year to start a podcast. I haven't decided. <laughs> Oh, it's just been crazy with the fires and, uh, and, you know, every time, like, you know, it's been the joke every month, there's something new, but I mean, you know, who'd have thought that COVID like, you know, despite it's still having a huge impact on our life, like it has completely lost the game of 2020 as being the most (laughs) traumatizing part of it. (laughs) Oh, no kidding. Uh, It's, uh, and yet I still think we're going to see ripple effects from COVID for some time to come, uh, short term, long term. Oh, it's definitely gonna be. Got someone. I I work with a guy who used to be a. He has got a PhD in immunology. He used to make vaccines, and and he was saying yeah, this could be up to five years of this. I'm like, oh god, no, no, don't say that. <laughs> oh gosh. I'm like, no, that's like my my poor daughter. That's like her whole eighth grade through college experience. You know that would be awful for her. It you would. Know? You know and. And well, you know, the, there's worse things to happen. Death is definitely the worst thing that could happen. 
So, I mean, when you look through it in the whole grand scheme of things, as long as your family's safe and healthy, that's the biggest thing. But, you know, the longer our lives are put on hold, it's, it's getting harder and harder and then, and we're all going crazy and we're seeing the effects of that right now. We are. Yep. We are. Well, Michelle, thank you again. Right. And guys, thanks for tuning in and we'll until next time. See you later.